The statistics are grim. One in five working moms say they've been passed over for an important assignment or for a promotion because they have children. And women who take even one year off to have kids come back to earn 40% less than their peers. Working moms outpace, outperform, and outwork their peers. So why don't companies make an effort to support working moms? And how can working moms advocate for themselves in the workplace and in their careers? Frankly, we're tired of asking for a seat at the table. It's time to make our own table, and we're going to talk about how. I'm Zabine Mirza, and this is Moms at Work. Friends and fans, welcome to another episode of Moms at Work. This, of course, is the official Jobs.Mom podcast. I'm your host, Zabine Mirza, and today we're talking to a man. Uh, Not just any man, he is the host of the number one negotiation podcast in the world, Negotiate Anything. He is the one, the only Kwame Christian. Kwame, thanks for being here today. Hey, Zabine. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Now, Kwame, we have a really interesting topic today. Um, Obviously, you know, the premise of the show is to talk about moms at work, women at work, how women can advance in their careers and overcome so many of the struggles that are thrown our way. But today... You are going to join me in discussing how men can be allies to women in the workplace. Um, So before we dive into it, why not share with our listeners a little bit about your background and uh, where you're coming from on this topic? Nice. So yes, I am the director of the American Negotiation Institute. We do negotiation and conflict resolution trainings. Um, I'm trained as a lawyer, so I practice business law. I still practice because I, I want to keep my skills sharp. It's becoming more and more difficult to do it, but I'm just making it happen. And um, so I'm just passionate about negotiation, conflict resolution, and persuasive communication. Our motto is that the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations. And so what I want to do is empower people by teaching them how to negotiate and advocate for themselves effectively. And that's amazing because, you know, the best things in life are at the other end of a difficult conversation. And that includes everything from equal pay for women parental rights, maternity leave, childcare support, and all the different ways in which an employer can support the women and mothers in the workplace. And of course, a lot of those conversations are difficult. Um, Kwame, talk to me a little bit first about what does it mean to you to be an ally? For me, we have to remember that allyship this is, we're talking about a verb. This is an action. It's, if we just think about it as getting that sticker, hey, congrats, you're an ally, um, then it could lead us to rest on, on our laurels. We think that we're done and we're not. And so for us, in order to be an ally, you, allyship is something that you do and you do regularly. And so it's standing up and, and standing beside the people who need help and advocating on, on their behalf and with them when it's appropriate. And I think that's super important because a lot of people, especially in the age of wokeness that we live in, a lot of people like to say, I'm an ally. You can't just declare yourself an ally, right? And as you mentioned, allyship is a verb. Uh, Being an ally is a verb and it needs to be done through action. Um, And we see a lot of performative allyship, Kwame, you know, And, and you're a black man living in America in 2021. We see a lot of performance allyship. We see a lot of real allyship. 
Um, talk to me a little bit about what real allyship could look like in the workplace. I think what we need to focus on is a tangible impact, a tangible impact. As a result of what you did, what has changed? And the thing is, if nothing is changing, of course, that could be indicative of a, a stagnant organization, an organization that's resistant to making the, the proper equitable changes. But also, it could be indicative of your lack of appropriate action, your lack of meaningful action. And so I think what we have to do is we have to be like good scientists, observe. Observation is number one, right? So we have to observe and recognize what is happening in our environment. What potential inequities are we seeing? And the thing is, especially if you are a man who wants to be an ally, you have to recognize that our biases and our perspective can often just make us blind to the inequities that exist for the women around us. So we need to be more aware and we need to have conversations with the, the women who we work with to figure out whether or not there are issues in the workplace. And then again, thinking like a scientist, we come up with some level of uh, a hypothesis. All right, I think this is happening because of XYZ. Let's call it gender bias. It usually is. And so then you test it. Let me see if this same thing is happening to the men in the environment. Oh, no, it's not. Oh, that's interesting. So we have a disparate impact. And then from there, we can create our strategy. But remember, the strategy needs to be based on the foundation of taking meaningful action. Yeah, and that's that's so important. I think so many things there, so many threads to follow in what you just said. First, being aware as a man, I think, and um, in general of your own privilege, right? Just because something doesn't affect you personally doesn't mean it's not an issue. And that's something that we're all very quick. We're all guilty of it. We all have biases that until something affects us personally, it often becomes difficult for us to relate. But what you mentioned was so important to have the conversations with the women in your workplace and to center them, right? And we talk a lot about centering the right voices and centering the right experiences, especially because Kwame, you know, as a woman at work, and I can speak for myself, and I'm sure many women listening can relate to this, even if there are inequities and injustices, we're afraid to speak up for a number of reasons, right? It's our job. It's our livelihood. Um, we have to work here. We need a salary. We don't want to risk things. Um, so talk a little bit, Kwame, as the king of difficult conversations and somebody that is such a devout believer in having those conversations. What advice would you give to these women, to women like me, women like the listeners here that are at work that you know, maybe are afraid to speak up? How can they speak up? How can they leverage their allies to speak up for them or to help them in a way that doesn't diminish their own power or reputation? Yeah, that, and that's a critical thing because when we when we talk about it, we have the we have to recognize that these fears are legitimate. Um, I think a lot of times that when people talk about fears, they say, "Oh, that's just a mental problem or uh, you know a, a sign of fragility or something like that." Just get over your fears and do it. That's not <laughs> speaking right. of as somebody from a with a psychology degree. That's not how you deal <laughs> with with fears. And we have to remember that the genesis of these fears are legitimate because there are. There, there's political and social reprisal that occurs when women advocate for themselves at work. Study after study demonstrates this, right? So we have to be really mindful of it. Most of us do not have the privilege of being able to be flippant with our career. 
who cares how people are going to respond? I'm just going to say what I want to say, how I want to say it. And then whatever happens, happens. Most people don't have the privilege to be able to do that. So you have to balance the, the, the desire to take meaningful action with the reality of consequences. And you can create a strategy that helps you to navigate those consequences, but you have to think through it. So the question is, how do you do that? So number one, we need to recruit allies. Who do you have a trusting relationship with that you can confide in, who can be an ally for you in this situation? And you can use negotiation as a tool to test that relationship in a meaningful way without making yourself too vulnerable to potential attack. So asking how they see the situation, asking questions about how they feel about equality and equity in the workplace, and then asking what they're doing to be an ally and what they are potentially willing to do. And then talking about the situation and asking their thoughts about it. This is a way where you can start to vet the, the quality of allyship that we're dealing with. And then you and the ally can work together to create a strategy. What is appropriate for me to say in this conversation? What is more appropriate for you to say? And then you can use this approach where each member of the team has a specific role. And I think that's a good way to get started. Oh, and I love that because it does a number of things. It doesn't it doesn't put you in an uncomfortable position as a woman because you're just vetting, right? It's a very casual, what are your thoughts about this? You know, kind of like an exploratory mission, right? Kwame, right. you know, this kind of happened. What was your perspective on what was said? Or Kwame, you know, when we were at that meeting yesterday, um, this is something that was an idea floating around. What are your thoughts about that? And so I can kind of gauge where you fall in your thinking and whether it's aligned with mine and if you could be a support for me. Um, now, on the flip side, we do have men listening to this, Kwame. What advice would you give them um, to kind of encourage them, I would say, to not only be an ally, but to help the women that they work with understand that they are an ally? Because you can't put a label on your shirt that says, hello, my name is Kwame, I'm an ally, and just walk around like that all day at work. How can they signal to their colleagues, their female colleagues, that they're a true ally? For So before we talk about the signaling, I want to address a mindset thing too. Um, because when it comes to doing hard things, a lot of times people use procrastination as a really a manifestation of fear. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to think about the right way to do it. And I'm going to go through this endless introspective process. You don't need all that. You're listening to the podcast. You're good enough. Okay. So really, it, again, you need to take action. That's the first thing. Now, first action is talk to the women at work and get their perspectives. Let's not mansplain this to death. We're not going to jump in and just say, you know what, without talking to any of my women colleagues, I'm going to come in because I have the right answer. You might not, you probably don't. And so <laughs> what you need to do is you need to have those conversations and say, listen, my goal is to be an ally in this role here. I need your help in order to do that. If you feel comfortable, I'd be open to having a conversation so you can coach me, teach me what I need to do. But I'm not going to really outsource my education. I'm not going to say, hey, teach me about the feminist movement or anything like that. No, 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 no. I'm going to do my research, but then I'm going to ask in this specific environment, what can I do? And, and ask for specific recommendations. And sometimes depending on the person, the recommendation might be, actually, I've got this. I really appreciate this. I really appreciate you coming to me and, and being this support. I can handle it. If that's the recommendation, then you need to honor that because it's not about you. And sometimes the hardest thing about being an ally is recognizing that the advice that they give you is to sit down and be silently supportive. 
That's so important. And I think this is applicable, not just in the workplace, but in general, when you talk about social justice work, right? Um, many of our listeners are, you know, in some way, shape or form involved in, in some kind of social justice work. And all of us are in different stages of our journey, some further along, some just beginning and beginning to learn. And you touched upon a few things that are super important. Number one, center the voices that are being marginalized. What does centering mean, Kwame? So when we're talking about centering, what we're trying to do is make sure that the perspectives of the person who is being impacted is the voice that's being lifted up. Because the <laughs> the example I give all the time is that my wife is pregnant uh, with our second son on the way. And I tell people, listen, I do not opine on the pains of childbirth. Because although I can try my hardest to empathize, there's no way, no way for me to fully understand it. So I shouldn't be talking about it, right? It shouldn't be my voice who <laughs> that's the loudest voice in the room on the issue. And so when we're talking about centering, there's, there's really nothing special about it. Let the experts speak. That's it. You know, the, the person who has the most credibility and authority on the issue should be the person driving the conversation. That's right. And if they are not the person driving the conversation, the risks are that you're going to do something that's not only not helpful, but it could be potentially harmful. Right. And and you're yes. you end up hurting the people that you're trying to help. And when we talk about and we'll talk about this now, I guess, race, gender, these are a little bit more sensitive, right? So for example, Kwame, let's let's role play a little bit. Let's say you and I were colleagues, we're both managers, and we both report to the same director. He's a man, for example. You have a good relationship with him. I have an okay relationship with him. You're close, me and him, I just report to him. Let's say I come to you one day and I say, Kwame, and you and I are friends, and I say, Kwame, our manager, let's call him Dave. Um, Dave made a remark to me that was, Maybe he didn't intend to. I don't know what his intent was, but it felt kind of racist. What should you then now do, Kwame? So first, let's treat this interaction that we are having together as a negotiation. And you as a negotiation expert, you know this. A lot of times when we focus on negotiation, we think about the external negotiation, the person on the other side. But we don't take the time to negotiate with the people who are on our team. And so you and I, in this instant, me trying to be an ally and you needing help, we are on the same team, but I still need to negotiate. So what am I negotiating for? I'm negotiating for information. So before I, I hop on my horse and uh, you know try to save the world, what I'm going to try to do is ask more questions. First, I'll empathize. I'm, I'd say, sorry, I, it seems like this really had an impact on you. And I'm really sorry that this happened. Can you tell me more about the situation? Can you give me more details? those type of things. So I want to get a full picture of what happened. And then I would say, all right, now what can I do to be supportive to you in this? And so now we're going to transition the conversation into what comes next. What's the future action that you want from me? And so in this situation, you might want somebody to just talk to. I just wanted to vent. Okay. All right. If you need more than that, I'm here. But then it might be something more. I need this to be addressed. I don't feel like I have the relationship with Dave to address this. Can you bring this up? And then in that situation, then we talk about the strategy. Do you want to bring this up together? Are all three of us in a meeting? Do you want me to broach the topic with him one-on-one, -on -one, which would be more preferable? Then we work out the strategy and then we execute, execute upon the strategy. 
I think what's most notable about what you said is that the entire thing that you were mentioning, the entire strategy, the entire process, the entire planning is always centering the person who was impacted's wishes. So depending on what I told you that I was or was not comfortable with, that is how you are going to plan the course of action. Because a lot of times, and we see this with allies, is that the allies end up doing what they think is best, what they want. And that is a form of not just centering the wrong people, it's centering yourself, but it's also adding to the marginalization of the person that is being impacted. And that is super important. Now, When we talk about race and gender, Kwame, especially, I mean, outside of the workplace, these are sensitive, sticky topics. And, you know, um, I'm a a brown woman, you're a black man, neither of us are um, strangers to um, race and race-related challenges in our day-to-day lives. Um, And race impacts us at the grocery store, at the gas station, at school, at work, everywhere. But when it comes to the workplace, there is that added level of fear, right? And as you mentioned, you can't just be so nonchalant. It's your paycheck. It's your livelihood. You've got kids with braces and little league soccer to pay for. It adds up, Kwame. It's, it's a lot of money, right? And I mean, I so, you know, I, I signed my kid up for baseball the other day. It was like $400 for the season. I thought, okay, great. You know, and then I have to buy a helmet. I got to buy like a USA bat stamp certified T-ball bat. There's got like specific measurements. I mean, it adds up. It was, it was crazy. And I was just thinking, man, like you think it's $5 here, $20 here, $50 here. I mean, this is a completely tangential rant on how much suburbia costs. But, you know, we can't treat work nonchalantly, right? I got Little League Baseball to pay for. So if somebody comes to me and says, I was sexually harassed. Or I was insulted, my religion was insulted, or a manager made a derogatory comment about race. It's not, it's it's a level beyond saying, you know, he has favorites, and so he gave this person a promotion. It's beyond that. So how do we then become, or what ad- advice would you give to people that want to be allies, but are scared for their own livelihoods, which we can't fault them for either, really? Yeah. And, and here's the thing. There's no silver bullet here. Like, There's no way to make these conversations easy. And so you think about the um, our, our, my tagline for, for A&I, it's we make difficult conversations easier, but doesn't make it, it like easy across the board, right? That's the reality. And so one layer that we have to consider with the strategy is asking ourselves who is the right person to bring the message. And so let's revisit this conversation. So if I have a really good, almost chummy, buddy-buddy relationship with Dave, then I could possibly do it. If we have a good professional relationship, but not a friendship, then we add another wrinkle here. Because the question is, because he's both of our managers, you and I are on the same level, but he is above us. Is it appropriate for me to be the person to have that conversation with him? Or should I use somebody like maybe HR or some um, ombudsman, something like that, who is more on that level to have that conversation on that same level of authority? But that might not exist in that organization. There are a lot of organizations where that does not exist. And so here's another thing that we can consider too, coalition building. And so thinking about it in terms of negotiation strategy with coalition building, essentially we're saying there's strength in numbers. And so maybe what we do 
is we try to gather information from other people to see if they have experienced something similar. And we do this in a way that doesn't jeopardize your safety by saying, hey, Zabine experienced this, did you? Then, okay, confidentiality <laughs> is problematic. You know, it, it, that, that becomes an issue, right? And so if other people have experienced something similar, now we have a little bit more cover. Now we have a little bit more protection because we're saying it's a pattern of behavior that gives us a little bit more leverage in the interaction. And so then we can come a little bit more confidently because multiple people have experienced that. That's a strategic layer that is nice to have, but not entirely necessary. And so then if we don't have that, then it would be me as an ally having that conversation, but doing it in a way still where it doesn't jeopardize the position as much as possible. You cannot de-risk these interactions. You cannot yeah. de-risk the interaction and you cannot at the same time have an effective conversation where you're sugarcoating things to the point of meaninglessness, right? So they don't even understand the gravity of the conversation. So you want to be mindful about the tone that you use when you're having the conversation, but you still have to have the conversation. And I think that is absolutely critical. Do not avoid the conversations. Do not avoid having these conversations. You can never de-risk these conversations, as you mentioned. Now, one of the things that I want to tell you about, Kwame, is kind of my strategy. One of the things that I have kind of done that um, you know speaks a lot to what you're saying, and, and it reminds me of what you were saying before about um, vetting right? So vetting and using kind of information gathering as a means of also planting some seeds. So one thing that I have done, you know, because sometimes people will make off the cuff remarks, and I don't want to say that they were ill intentioned. Sometimes it comes from a place of ignorance. Sometimes it comes from a place of just not knowing, right? Um, so if Dave made an, um, you know, offensive uh, remark to me or some kind of microaggression or, you know, something, uh, what could be a microaggression for those of you that aren't unfamiliar. Um, it's something that's kind of like a backhanded compliment. Like you speak really good English, right? Well, of course I speak good English. I was born in Brooklyn. Like what other, I, what other language would I speak? Right. I mean, English in Brooklyn is up for debate, but um, that's what it is. Right. So um, one of the things that I have learned to do is, if myself, I go to Dave and I said to Dave, hey, Dave, can I talk to you for a moment? I wanted to pick your brain about something. Um, and then I use a similar situation to what Dave and I were involved in, but act as though it happened to somebody else. And I would say, Dave, I wanted to pick your brain about something. Christine in accounting shared that her manager said X and Y, and it made her uncomfortable. Um, what should she do? And this can do two things. Number one, plant the seed in Dave's mind that maybe have I done something similar to what Christine's hypothetical boss uh, did. And number two, it can give me an insight into the best way Dave believes this kind of situation could be handled. And, um, you know, for those of us that don't necessarily have the privilege of, you know, guns blazing, you know, running into the office and, you know, shouting bloody murder, this I have found to be a more subtle first effort. And oftentimes, if the people you're speaking with, and if this is done correctly, they get it, right? They can get it. When they don't get it, I think is when you have to start really ramping up those efforts, Kwame, as you had mentioned. 
Absolutely. And again, that strategy that you use really helps you to understand what is an approach that they would respect. You know, it's it's very telling because they're giving you the playbook, essentially. Um, another thing that I like to do in these situations is I like to reaffirm the uh, the relationship. Because one of the reasons why these conversations are so tough, especially when you're bringing in race and gender, things like that, is that people do not want to be labeled as a racist or a sexist. Like they, they, when that label is put upon them, the first thing that they always do, which is inappropriate, but it is consistent and predictable, is they run to their own defense and say, listen, no, 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 I'm a good person. You know, I voted for Obama or whatever it happens to be that they say, I I have daughters uh, that we hear that one a lot. Um, I'm married to a woman. I have a black friend. (laughs) Yes. All of these reasons. It's like, okay, I see where we're going now. We're not, this is, we are not decentering here, right? (laughs) This is, this is problematic for a number of reasons. But so one of the things that I do to avoid that while anticipating that is just reaffirm the relationship. Dave, listen, we've worked together for five years. I respect the work that you do. And I know we, we've done some great work together. And the reason why I'm having, I would like to have this conversation with you is because I want to continue to make sure that we have a good relationship are you open to having a conversation about something that happened a little bit ago yeah absolutely i want to give an invitation so it doesn't feel like an ambush and then i'll just say listen this happened you might have said these let's talk about the passing comment and like i said i know that you didn't intend anything malicious by it then one of my favorite trans, uh, transaction, transitional phrases is the problem is. Because if you say, but, it's like, oh, you take away all of that nice stuff you said before. I know you didn't mean anything by it. The problem is that it had an impact on me because of X, Y, Z, silence. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize it would have that type of impact, blah, blah, blah. No, that's okay. I just wanted to bring it to your attention because I know you didn't do it on purpose. Just going forward, it'd be I would really appreciate it if that didn't happen again. Fantastic. See, we're good. You know, and I think if you structure the conversation the right way, it can be it can be really short. It'll be intense. It'll still be intense, but the conversation can be pretty limited in time boundaries. Um, if you communicate it very, very clearly, give them the benefit of the doubt so they don't feel the need to defend themselves and they can focus on the impact that they had on you. Yeah. And I think that's so profound because what will happen then is also for very long, if not forever, after that conversation, it will be branded in your mind. Um, So it's important, you know, to have those conversations, not just for yourself, but for every other person that maybe didn't feel comfortable to speak up and for every other person after you, right? It's not just about you. It's about all the other people that could be potentially impacted that you're also helping. Um, And of course, Kwame, we're talking about being an ally in times of conflict or of, of when there's a problem that arises, but Allyship also extends to supporting and boosting each other up. So women at work, especially women of color and mothers, are, you know, doubly and and triply marginalized, right? When we talk about mothers at work, it's such a prevalent problem that they've called it, they've given it a name. It's called the motherhood penalty, Kwame. And the motherhood penalty is that for every subsequent child a woman has, her salary diminishes proportionately in response. Whereas for men, on the other side, it's called the fatherhood bonus because for every child they have, their salary increases. 
Now, of course, that's a function of the fact that the women drop out and that they're watching the kids full time. So the men can then devote themselves. I mean, there's a huge, there's a correlation here. But these women, if you're a mother, especially, and you know, Kwame, I have three kids, right? And I have, and you know my story, I have struggled employer after employer. Every time I had a child, I was fired before I went on maternity leave for my first one because they didn't want to pay maternity leave. My second son, they didn't want me to work flexibly when I was sick. I couldn't commute two hours a day. My third one, I was fired during COVID because I was said it was said that I was too expensive when I came back from maternity leave. So it was, you know, for me, it was uh, not just that I was being marginalized because I was a woman and a mother. It was seen as a mark against me that because I had kids, I was not as competent. I was not as capable. And I think we all know that's not true. Mothers are superhuman, superheroes. And, you know, survey after survey shows, I think it was uh, in a a recent Pew Research survey of Americans, 91% of Americans surveyed said that women that were mothers were best suited to leadership and managerial roles. They're better listeners, they're better empaths, better communicators, um, better uh, coordinators, better with time management, more effective, more. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but they don't get the promotion. Suddenly, when you have kids, it's believed that you're not as committed, Kwame. You can't take the call at 1 a.m. Nobody should be taking a call at 1 a.m. Nobody, kids, no kids, nobody's got any business taking a call at 1 a.m. So Kwame, talk a little bit about, let's say you and I, we work together, right? How can you be an advocate for me as a woman for getting visibility or having my ideas heard or landing a big project? How can you push as a male ally women forward? One of the things that I've recognized is that people do not give women the recognition they deserve when they do great work. And an easy way to do it is in emails, in meetings, in Slack channels, just celebrating the great work that the women around you have done. Um, and because again, we've, we've seen study after study that shows that women who promote themselves, who share the good things that they're doing and share their wins are often penalized socially for doing so. Whereas it's anticipated for men to do that and they see them as good leaders and whatnot. There's no social penalty for sharing your accomplishments. And so I think it's really important for men to be able to do that. That's very very important because it's those constant reminders for the the community within the workplace that let people know, hey, this person is management material. This person is a valued part of the team. And so I think that's an important thing to do. The other thing that's really important is to make sure that you're not just an ally when women around are around, you're also an ally when women are not around. And so if there is a conversation amongst the men at work and things that are being said are inappropriate, you need to be that voice of reason to let people know what is and is not okay. And you might get that label as, as a buzzkill or um, you know somebody who is overly sensitive or woke or something like that or can't take a joke. But again, you have to we're trying to reset the paradigm and create a new normal. And so we have to be able to advocate for women, even when women are not present. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it, it doesn't have to even be something so outrageous. It could simply be as, as something as small as calling attention to other women's achievements. So one example was, and, I'm, and you're a big tennis fan. So, you know, Andy Murray is an amazing 
feminist and amazing fe- uh, female ally. And a reporter had, I think it was in 2016, I want to get this right, it was at the Rio Olympics. Um, Andy Murray was being interviewed um, by a broadcaster who congratulated him on being the first person ever to win two Olympic tennis gold medals. Do you remember what Andy Murray said? He, he says, said, I am- and Serena... What yeah, do you say? The, the Williams sisters have had done it and did it a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, he said, He said you're telling me about two. Venus and Serena, I believe, have four each, right? I just have two. And that is being an ally, right? Immediately, you know, calling out. It took nothing. You don't have to pay any money. You don't have to put yourself in an uncomfortable position. But calling attention to the achievements of other women. He very simply said, Venus and Serena, I believe, have four each. You're telling me I'm the first ever to get two. Venus and Serena have about four each. Um, and I thought that was such a powerful statement because when people think about how you can be an ally, you often think that maybe you have to overextend yourself in some way. It's something as simple as giving recognition to those that have been looked over. Would you agree, Kwame? Absolutely. Again, it goes back to what I said. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it just keep it simple and and most importantly take action and be consistent amazing well kwame i'm conscious of time and i don't want to keep you from the amazing schedule that you keep but kwame for those that are listening um kwame christian is the host uh, extraordinaire of the negotiate anything podcast the number one negotiation podcast in the world and for good reason have a listen it's available wherever you hear your podcast he's also the director of the american negotiation institute kwame do you want to share a little bit about some upcoming programs trainings you have that women that are listening might want to get involved in yeah so very exciting news we are bringing in um several new uh contract trainers which is exciting and so we're going to be able to go deeper in our our content around advocating for yourself at work women focused content so that's exciting we're also doing a lot of diversity equity and inclusion work how to have difficult conversations about race how bias impacts the way that we communicate with each other and what we can do about it then of course the classic negotiation and conflict resolution trainings as well and then um exciting news actually this is going to be the first time i'm saying it publicly um so i I have a book deal to do a book on the ty- on the topic of how to have difficult conversations about race. So taking that negotiation and conflict resolution methodology, bringing it to how we can be effective in these difficult conversations at work. Amazing. Kwame Christian, the host of the Negotiate Anything podcast and director of the American Negotiation Institute. Thanks, Kwame, for joining me today. Thanks. Appreciate it. And for our listeners, of course, to listen to Kwame, you can Google him, Kwame Christian, Negotiate Anything, and you can follow along this podcast and all others at jobs.mom slash podcast. And as always, wherever you are, stay safe, stay sane, and we'll see you next time. Follow us on social media. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out more episodes at jobs.mom slash moms at work. Yo